gentlemen, Rob Port here on WDAY. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Those are your phone numbers. You can uh, email as well, talk at WDAY.com or uh, tweet me at any point during the show. Wednesday, I, I know the last couple of weeks we've done this. We've done it on Fridays, and that was because of the congressman's schedule. But normally it's going to be on Wednesdays. Congressman Kevin Kramer joining us for his town hall. You could call in about whatever you want. If you want to know what's going on on D- in D.C., if you've got uh, some legislation that you're tracking, if you want to update on some issue that's important to you, uh, you can ask the congressman about it. We'll take whatever you got. Email, call, tweet, let us know. Uh, he'll be on here at uh, 1.30. I'm, I'm sure he's going to have some comments about President Donald Trump's speech last night. Did you watch that, Natil? I did. I didn't watch it live, but I did watch the the entirety of it here today. What did you think? It was it was not quite what I expected, um, in, in in a good way. He was. You, expe- you expected him to berate somebody from the rostrum, right? I mean, <laughs> well, and not even just berate someone. I, I expected him to to go off script. I expected him to. Uh, be a little bit more inflammatory, and he wasn't. He he was a lot more middle of the road than I was expecting him to be. I I wouldn't say that he was you know very middle of the road, but he he had come a little bit further toward the center than I thought that he was capable of, and that was encouraging. I wish we would have heard some talk like this from him earlier. I think that could have possibly reduced the amount of angst that the country is currently experiencing, especially in the democratic circles. Uh, but it, it was a good speech. And I can only hope that Congress will sort of meet him in the middle and we can get some things done. You know, it's the interesting thing about Donald Trump is that if you if you cut through the tweeting and a lot of the rhetoric and a, and a lot of the stuff that that he you know where he's just belittling people and and the personal attacks and all that stuff if you cut through a lot of that and just look at policy he's a pretty moderate person right i mean he's a pretty moderate republican i mean he he probably has he's for instance on gay rights and I know he's upset some people recently with the transgender bathroom order. Although for, from that perspective, I think what I think what President Trump, all he's saying there is, listen, states decide it for yourself. To me, that's a federalist move, not necessarily a transgender move, but whatever. I, I mean, he's more liberal than Barack Obama was when Barack Obama first came into office when it comes to, for instance, gay rights. President Obama was anti-gay marriage when he came into office. President Trump, the first Republican come into office, He's fine with gay marriage. Um, he's more moderate than I think he gets credit for. And I think the reason why is because all the other stuff creates this perception of him as this right-wing demagogue, which he's he's really not. Well, but that's the problem, isn't it? We, we shouldn't have to cut through all of his no, we personal garbage on Twitter in order to discover the policy, the policy fruit beneath. Yeah. Like that, that should be what the focus is and that should be what the focus is not only for him but for the rest of the country there shouldn't be all of this trapping that we have to get through in order to see the policy and last night 
there wasn't that trapping, at least during the speech. So that's the kind of thing that I'm hoping for more of in the future. But at the same time, I guess I, I don't expect that in the future just because of how we've seen him acting in the past. Will that have a negative yeah. impact on what he actually gets done? Will he not be able to get good things done? I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that it it's difficult to marry the two Trumps that we see together. It's it's a weird dynamic because a lot of the reason I, if he was if during the primaries and and during the general election, I think if he was this guy where he was just sort of taking these moderate positions and he wasn't this brash person saying all these things about whoever I don't think he gets elected, right? I mean, it's it's weird because his his political mandate is very much born of that. I'm gonna break, and and to a degree, I don't necessarily like. I don't necessarily dislike everything he does in terms of the the political correctness stuff. I, I some of that stuff we just gotta break through some of these walls. We keep walling in the language and what we're allowed to say to the point where. You're not allowed to say anything outside of, you know, sort of this liberal orthodoxy without being called a racist. Trump smashing through that was just fine by me. Um, some of the other stuff, gosh, you know, I, I, I don't like that stuff so much. But it's it's weird because he almost has to do one to be able to do the other. Does that make sense? It, to to an extent, I guess. But I, I feel like he could be breaking through those barriers without some of the is it 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 seems to me like if what you want to do is break through these barriers of intense political correctness and be able to ask questions without being told that you're a racist you should be able to do that on a a higher level but when you get down into the weeds and you're calling out specific people and you're calling them specific yeah. names, but the thing th- is, that is, no longer that no longer applies. Yeah. I get the point that you're making, but I remember Mitt Romney trying to do that. I remember Mitt Romney, you know, trying to talk about entitlement reform and trying to talk about terrorism and race relations in the United States, and and break through some of the political correctness and talk about provocative things, and it, it didn't work. It didn't work. You know, he, he still got boxed in. He still got overwhelmed. I, I, I think what Trump what Trump kind of did is I, I think he just kind of, you know, Republicans had to stop playing nice. He came back and he smashed through it. Now, And again, I don't like everything he says, but I, I, I won't lie. When he calls Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas, I, I think it's brilliant. And I know some people find it offensive and everything else, but. What she did was offensive. She pretended to be a Native American for for, for affirmative, affirmative action gain that she had no business getting. Can we can we not say that it's either brilliant or offensive, but just call it petty? Because at but this it's point, not. But what she did was petty. Well, I mean, what what she did was petty, and she's sort of this left left wing standard bearer, and. But then why, uh, you why know, do you got to keep? Why do you have to keep punching her in the face with it? I mean, he because he she called did her, it. But he, he's calling her a, a name across a playground. Attack her policies. You know, but she a, does the same thing. I'm not saying she doesn't. I'm saying that. He's and it not, works though. I mean, that's I mean that's that's the thing is is we we get we get sort of high and mighty, 
And and I, I'm not I'm not running you down because I, I do it too. We get sort of high, you know oh you know why can't everybody be more high minded and everything, and that's because on the campaign trail getting down in the mud works, which frustrates me to no end. Yeah, I mean it works. Every every election site we complain about the TV ads and we complain about the radio ads and we complain about the rhetoric, and the politicians keep doing it. And the reason why they keep doing it is because it works. And and whose whose fault is that? That it works. That sounds like that's our fault, collectively, the, the electorate. That's our fault because it works. Anyway, it was a good speech, though. <laughs> it really it was, was. It was a good speech. It was a good speech. It, it was. And I was surprised at how sort of universally – somebody said something pretty interesting, and I want to ask the congressman about this. It was interesting to me how sort of universally praised it was. Um, you know, you even had like Van Jones on CNN even was was sort of, you know, obviously disagreeing with him on policy, but praising him. And somebody made a good point that Trump has spent so much time lowering the bar for his behavior that when he gets up behind the rostrum and be- behaves himself like a normal president, that's seen as as praiseworthy. Like like we've we've lowered the bar so much for presidential behavior that he gets up on stage and he doesn't act like a creep and we're all like oh good job mr trump (laughs) good job mr trump way to go i don't know maybe there's something to that 701-293-9000-888-970-9329 email talk at wday.com we'll be back right after this don't go away Some uh, breaking news for you, Nathil. You know, one thing I have: North, the state of North Dakota operates a lottery, like like a lot of other states. And the one thing that I I've never liked about the lottery is that gambling is outside of you know very limited charitable gaming that's allowed in in the state's bars and and, and things like that, and obviously the the reservation casinos. Um, is that gambling is illegal in North Dakota on the notion that. You know, it, it has all these societal ills and everything, and therefore it, it's not something that we're allowed to do, right? Like, you can't open a casino. But the state uh, runs a lottery. But the state runs a lottery. And to me, that just seems hypocritical. Like, if it, it's like, okay, well, we've banned gambling, but now we're going to allow ourselves to operate it as the government. You know, it's a monopoly, right? It's like we're, we're outlawing the competition, and then we're going to run this gambling enterprise. That's always bothered me a little bit. I mean, if we're okay with gambling to the point where the state can run a gambling operation that amounts to a tax on people who can't do math, honestly, you people buying lottery tickets are throwing your money away. Yeah, sometimes uh, it's fun to throw your money away a little bit, well, though. All right, whatever. I'm not a gambler. I don't. I like to go to casinos, uh, you know, and I like to, like, watch people, other people gamble, but... I don't... I don't gamble like at casinos but you know when the when the lottery pots get really big i'll go throw five ten dollars at it and i I don't feel bad about that because it's like well you know i could have bought 
a coffee at Starbucks today, but instead I bought this lottery ticket. And if on the off chance I win $73 million, you won't be seeing me again. All right. So <laughs> I, I think, you know, me being upset that the state runs a lottery operation while they largely prohibit gambling in the state, a lot of people probably just shrug their shoulders because it's like, oh, it's, it's a lottery. But listen to this. There is legislation introduced in Bismarck that would allow the state of North Dakota to operate up to a half dozen actual casinos. Huh. But individuals can't run casinos. The legislation introduced by House Majority Leader Al Carlson, Republican, of course, from Fargo. uh, I'm just sort of flabbergasted by the idea. Like, if if we're at a point where we're going to allow casinos... Just legalize gambling. Just legalize gambling. Issue issue permits. Let people open casinos and operate them. If that's what we're going to do, and then tax you know tax the proceeds. You know if the state wants to get their cut, that's regulate fine. By me. Regulate the industry, just like regulate, regulate the industry. Other industries. We already allow a degree of gambling. You know nonprofits can can gamble. I, I just I don't like this. I mean, gambling is obviously it's an industry, right? It's a form of entertainment. Um, a lot of people like to do it and I don't, I, you know, I don't personally like to gamble. I don't have any, you know, moral judge. I don't judge people who want to gamble. If you, that's how you want to have your fun, uh, like with all things, you know, have fun in moderation, but you know, go at it, have, have your fun. I, I don't have any problem at all with gambling. What I do have a problem with is the state sort of carving it out saying, oh, only nonprofits can do it. And now only the state of North Dakota can do it for crying out loud. If you're going to allow it, just allow it already. I mean, what a, what a, this this coming from a Republican too, by the way, we're going to get the state in, into the gambling industry. I I tell you who's going to hate it. The tribes are going to hate it, right? Because that's a big draw for them to bringing people into their communities is their casinos. And if we open up a half dozen state owned casinos, uh, that aren't going to have to be located on reservation land then, you know, that's going to be a lot of competition for those existing casinos. Uh, and who's also going to hate it are, is, uh, you know, the big gambling industry like Las Vegas because they may, you know, they have a whole industry down to discount flights down to Las Vegas so you can gamble because gambling is not legal anyway. And nobody, nobody goes to Las Vegas for the weather or anything else. Everybody goes there to gamble. And the reason why they have to go there to gamble is because they can't gamble at home because it's illegal. So expect some opposition on those fronts. Um, my only opposition to it is the state ought to be in the uh, in the gambling industry. And anyway, interesting bill, I guess, but just legalize it already. Just allow it. And pe- people who have gambling problems are probably going to have problems whether gambling's legal or not. Right? I mean, pe- people who have that who have that compulsion are going to find a way to gamble legal or illegal. And they're probably going to have their problems no matter what. And we should do what we can to help them. And that's fine. But for crying out loud, just legalize gambling already. Uh, Let's see. I'm reading here. This is from uh, the Associated Press, which reported the story. North Dakota already has six casinos on American Indian reservations. The proposal would forbid state casinos from being built within 20 miles of a reservation. Um, 
and I don't I don't see that as much. I, most of those reservation casinos are probably already more than twenty miles from our state's big communities. I mean, you could put one probably in Fargo, Bismarck, Grand Forks, and Minot, and all of them would be at least twenty miles away from a reservation. So I don't see, you know, that's going to be a big competition. I don't see casinos going up in not the biggest metropolitan areas. Uh, Casinos would also would not be allowed within five miles of a city of more than 5,000 people. Okay, so I guess you couldn't put it right in the middle of a city. Where where are you going to find a city with So I guess we just got to build them out in the middle of nowhere. Well, I was going to say, what, are you going to build a casino in Lisbon? Yeah. Well, I, I'm sure Lisbon. I, I'm sure Lisbon might think that's a great idea. I don't Bring know. A, I don't know. Lisbon if, might think that's a great idea. Well, oh, I don't but. know. I don't know if Lisbon would think it was a great idea or not. We'll have to ask the people of of Lisbon. But I, you know, I could see where you could make the argument that it'd bring a lot of people to Lisbon or another smart small town where you build something like this. I I don't know. But then what happens Just, when what happens if like you put a casino in a in a city with like let's say forty five hundred people. And then the casino brings enough people to boost it up over that 5,000 right. mark. Then what do you do with the casino? Well, exactly. Because you put a casino there. Well, now you're going to get gas stations probably. You're going to get convenience stores. You're going to get hotels. You know, maybe some more hotels. Maybe you're going to get some more restaurants. Uh, all those people who are coming to work at those businesses are going to need a place to stay. And then pretty soon it's not illegal for the casino to be there anymore. This, this legislation is stupid. It is stupid. It's a constitutional amendment. If it passed, we would vote on it on the June primary, but I don't think it's going to pass. Congressman Kevin Kramer is coming up next. Your phone calls, your emails, your tweets, whatever you want to talk to him about, we're open. More to come straight ahead on The Rob Report. Don't go away. Report on WDAY 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We have Congressman Kevin Kramer for our weekly town hall, which it, I, I understand you're a little limited on time because you're in the middle of a bunch of votes, Congressman, but we'll uh, get right to it. Uh, we got Mary, We got Marion first, uh, who has an email. She says, Rob, last night's speech was so clear who President Trump is. He's a businessman, period. All politicians put in policies in place. And the first thing they say is, well, who can we tax to pay for who gets it? Government does not make money. They tax and spend it. Trump said last night we need more income coming into the government, more gross product, put more people to work, bring factories back, and tax breaks so companies invest. Uh, look at the Dow 401k stocks. It's working. It seems like he impressed a lot of people with that speech last night, Congressman. Boy, I, I tell you, the reviews have been phenomenal, Rob. And, you know, when you're sitting in the room and you, you watch the dynamics, of course, this is the first uh, first one I've sat through with a Republican president. I, I was at uh, uh, George W. Bush's very first address as well, but as a member of Congress. And, you, you know, you can get sort of caught up in it, and you're not really sure. How is this playing out in Normalville, right? This appears to have played very well in Normalville. And I think Mary's points are, are really good because he did go into some 
um, you know, pretty clear signals sent to, sent to the markets when in talking about American competitiveness globally, using the tax code to, to you know make it less expensive to um, to do business in the United States, uh, and just all kinds of other things, regulatory wise and whatnot that clearly are sending the right signals to the markets, and not just the stock market, by the way, but you know to Main Street America, to the job creators, uh, both large and small. Uh, yeah, it was it was an optimistic, uh, you know, old speech, but it was that optimism is contagious. You know? I, I wanted I wanted to get in uh, a question that I have because I've been hearing mm-hmm. you Republicans talk about health health insurance and, and health care reform mm-hmm. and obviously repeal and replace Obamacare and all that stuff. Yeah, and I, I'm hearing the president talk. I'm hearing you talk. I'm hearing our governor Doug mm-hmm. Burgum talk. And what mm-hmm. I'm hearing is a lot of people saying, you know, let's keep the individual mandate. And I remember not so long ago, Republicans didn't like the individual mandate so much, right. and, uh, and 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 not just keep the individual mandate, but but let's also you know keep the pre-existing conditions issue, and mm-hmm. and to me those are the two big things that that were a big problem with Obamacare because to me if if if, if you can't if you can't if you could can just sign up for insurance, you know, and and you have to buy it, and when you sign up, it doesn't matter if you have pre. This isn't insurance anymore. I, I mean, to yeah. me, that was the no, thing no, we needed to get right. away from. That's right. Yeah. So important. A couple of important distinctions. Um, so a mandate to purchase a government insurance policy is different than, say, a tax credit that gives the power to the individual to use that credit, albeit a, a, a form of federal, you know, reimbursement. Um, but it gives them the power to purchase the product they want, custom customized for them, and that's very different than just a mandated insurance you know, insurance policy that's where the insurance is subsidized as opposed to the patient. That's a, a, somewhat of a difference. With regard to the mandate, the individual mandate you speak of, you're right, that is at the crux of the problem. But remembering that we're dealing with what's called budget reconciliation, which is what allows us to pass a bill that repeals much of Obamacare and replaces much of Obamacare, but can't deal directly with policies only with revenue and spending. So what we will do, I believe, in our repeal bill, and, and there are two bills, one in the committee I'm on, Energy and Commerce, one in the Ways and Means Committee, the Tax Committee, because some of it deals with Medicare, some of it deals with Medicaid, and a lot of it deals with the IRS. We will repeal, the, while we can't repeal the individual mandate with 51 Senate votes, we can repeal the individual mandate penalty. In essence, doing when we do away with the penalty for the individual mandate, we... In, basically do away with the mandate so it's it's not complete you know pull it out by the roots but it's pretty compelling to say the least so um so that that's why you're seeing a little bit of uh, push and pull on what's what's appropriate well, and we have me, to find that sweet spot yeah because one thing though i'm hearing the president say is that we want to keep the pre-existing conditions thing where you can if, if you have pre-existing right. conditions it doesn't matter you can get it how does that work, though, without a mandate to buy insurance? Because otherwise, I don't have to buy insurance until I'm sick. Well, that's true, although I, I think what you're going to see is you'll, you'll see a, a bit of a transition into the replacement. So uh, my, what I anticipate on the Medicaid side, which is where I'm more familiar, and, of course, North Dakota being a Medicaid expansion state, is that we would not pull the rug out from under you know, Medicaid or the expanded Medicaid community um, that, that – in fact, the freeze frame doesn't happen probably until early January of 2020, maybe January 1 of 2020, and then you have um, a backstop that, that 
fills back in. But with regard to the um, the pre-existing condition, remembering that there are when you give states more flexibility, and that's really the sort of the mark of this, of what we're doing. And this, and we've talked to many governors, and our governor has been very engaged, as probably as much as any governor in the country. When we give more flexibility to governors to do what they want, whether it's with Medicaid funding or, or what we call um, state innovation grants, then they can design the programs in their states that best meet that criteria. In North Dakota used to have, prior to Obamacare, what was called the high-risk pools, and we're familiar with those. I'm not crazy for that terminology, but you, you do sort of segregate certain populations which make the insurance market much more viable. But in the segregation, that's where the safety net comes in, and, and it can be applied either to you know, putting people up to a Medicaid expansion. It can be applied to a, a, a credit uh, that'll, that allows people to buy into, uh, into a, a risk pool, and you can actually buy that down so that it's not a high-cost risk pool. I think what you're talking about, those are certain political realities in order to, to get enough votes to pass a bill that some of the things that are popular about Obamacare will still be there, but we're going to fashion them to meet to be more of a market solution. Because at the end of the day, Rob, we have to bring the cost of the product down, not the cost of insurance, the cost of the health care product down so that, uh, and you can only do that by, by creating competition and, and more access and more choices for, uh, for consumers. I, 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 that all sounds great. I mean, I like the idea of mm-hmm. more flexibility at the state level. Right. I like the idea of being able to sell across state. I, I like all of that stuff. I just don't, if we're going to keep the individual, if, if we're going to keep keep it so that insurance companies have to take people with pre-existing conditions, that that's not insurance anymore. I mean, that's like letting me buy auto insurance after I crash my car. After that's the crash. Not insurance. Yeah. No, I, I, I do understand that. I understand. I, mean, that, I, 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 I get. I get. Of- I get that it's it's politically popular, and and I think that's what Republicans, uh, right. you know, they understand. You know, the letting letting children stay on their you know parents' plan into adulthood. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, you know. You know, and, and all that idea. stuff. I understand yeah. that stuff's politically yeah. popular, but it's like, you know, I I mean, to me, it, it, at the very least, the pre-existing conditions thing, because it's it's not insurance anymore. I mean, that is just a fundamental. And if we're going to keep that, I don't know how we're going to come up with anything that's that's. Other than just Obamacare, but now we've you know sort of rearranged the place settings. Well, just it, it, again, except that there, it's except that there's more market forces at work here. Also, what we haven't fine-tuned yet is what, what form of an incentive is there for somebody to buy insurance um, prior to the condition. So, in other words, you know the carrot stick thing that we oftentimes talk about. In the case of Obamacare, it was a stick. It was a penalty. If you didn't buy insurance, you were penalized. If you did it, you couldn't afford it. Um, and we're just trying to find that sweet spot that provides some additional incentive. But you are correct in, that, in saying that the pre-existing condition, acceptance of pre-existing conditions as a, as a formula, does, um, you know, does sort of violate the peer market. Uh, philosophy, but it is also probably what we have to do to start bending that curve down. I mean, that's one of the compromises we're going to have to make. Uh, we got a question from an emailer. Uh, can we get some more information on what Trump is doing with the Clean Water Act? I am hearing two sides of the stories from both liberals and conservatives. I am unfamiliar with the Clean Water Act. Okay, so what they're probably asking about is waters of the U.S., and which is, 
you know, very we're very familiar with North Dakota. We successfully sued uh, over it. It's been sued uh, over twice. Um, Rob, I'm, I'm well. I'll, I'll finish up here, and then if you go to a break, I'm going to go vote. Um, so, so what he's doing is he is starting to roll back that rule, which was finalized. It was another one of those midnight rules that it, they worked on it for many years, and that is the definition of a navigable water that puts the EPA and the Corps of Engineers in charge of a vast millions of acres in western United States because they had a have a pothole on it or an intermittent stream or ephemeral stream or you know an occasional raindrop. And um, right now it's in the courts. And so what what um, what President Trump did with his executive order, realizing that this this is in the courts, has been overturned twice before, likely to be overturned again. Frankly, he's a, he's ordered his attorneys at the Department of Justice to go ask for it back so that we can, you know, so you know, it's kind of like we made a mistake, which we was the previous administration, but also to start unwinding the rule because it is a finalized rule. So that means you have to promulgate a new rule. In the meantime, it is up to Congress to more clearly define what a navigable water is, as, a, as opposed to a pothole um, or an ephemeral stream. A navigable water is the Mississippi River. And the reason that that's an important determination or distinction is because the federal government's role in water is, is when it juxtaposes itself with interstate commerce. So the Mississippi River, where you have a barge of North Dakota wheat, gets on, you know, gets in, in the water at uh, Duluth and goes down to the Gulf of Mexico, that's interstate commerce, and that's what makes it jurisdictional to the federal government as opposed to the states. But the EPA, and more so than the Corps of Engineers in this case, again, the EPA is the one that really went way too far out on this. And they said, yeah, but that should also include uh, tributaries. It should also include um, adjacent waters. Oh, and then what about tributaries into the tributaries? And oh, what about drainage issues? And oh, what about wetlands that occasionally get into the floodplain that find their way to the Mississippi River? And so what he's doing is he's rolling all that back and saying, no, no, we're going to. By the way, Justice Scalia, you'll notice in his 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 um, order, he references Justice Scalia. Justice Scalia wrote quite emphatically about navigable waters definition, and he's telling his attorneys, let's look at his, his uh, statements, because this was a, stayed on a four-to-one-to-four to one to four vote, by the way, in, in the Supreme Court. Um, Anthony Kennedy being, of course, the swing vote that, that just didn't concur, but he also didn't vote against. Um, and so that's, what, that's why the clarity in the definition is required in the Clean Water Act as to what a navigable water is. All right, well, that answered that question. I know you've got to run and go vote, so we will uh, cut this a little bit short today. Congressman, thanks for your time. Thank you, Rob. Anytime. Bye-bye. We'll, uh, we'll talk again uh, next week, of course, Wednesday, with your comments or questions. Sorry uh, we had the questioner about the re- uh, CCW reciprocity. Uh, certainly call in again next week or email, and we'll see where he's at with that. We'll wrap up the show coming up next. Rob Report. Can't make everybody happy all of the time. But I found myself in a place that I've never been A place that I've Welcome back, Rob Report, just wrapping things up Jay Thomas Show, coming up next He's uh, going to talk about these state-run casinos What a dumb idea I'm not against gambling, but let the private sector do it for crying out loud. The state doesn't need a gambling monopoly. 
Uh, he's also going to talk about uh, whether Fargo City employee should have been fired for his comments about Dakota Access Pipeline protesters. Uh, also, uh, Trump's speech last night and more all that on the Jay Thomas Show. You catch me here 1 to 2 p.m. on WDAY or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.